The following is a class given by His Holiness Jayapataka Swami Maharaj on May 2nd, 1985 at New Taliban in Carrier, Mississippi, USA. The class begins with a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam 6th Canto, Chapter 12, Verse 20. Translation. You have surmounted the illusory energy of Lord Vishnu, and because of this liberation you have given up the demoniac mentality and have attained the position of an exalted devotee, supported by Srila Prabhupada. Lord Vishnu is the Mahapurusha, therefore one who becomes a Vaishnava attains the position of a Mahapurusha. This position was attained by Maharaja Pariksit. It is said in the Padma Purana that the distinction between a demigod and a demon is that a demigod is a devotee of Lord Vishnu, whereas a demon is just the opposite. Vishnu Bhaktas Mito Daiva Asuras Tadviparyaya. Ditra Asura was considered a demon, but actually he was more than, a quali- more than qualified as a devotee or Mahapurusha. If one somehow or other, if somehow becomes a, uh, one becomes a devotee of the Supreme Lord, whatever his position, he can be brought to the position of a perfect person. This is possible if an unalloyed devotee tries to serve the Lord by delivering him in this way. Therefore, Sukadev Goswami says in Srimad Bhagavatam 2.4.18, Kirata hunanda pulinda pulkasa abhira sumbhaya vanakasa daya yenyecha papa yadapasraya sraya sudyanti tasmai prabhavishnave nama. Translation Kiratas, hunas, andras, pulindas, pulkasas, Abhiras, Sumbas, Yavanas, and members of the Kasa races, and even others addicted to sinful acts, can be purified by taking shelter of the devotees of the Lord, for He is the supreme power. I beg to take, to offer my obeisances, my respectful obeisances unto Him. End of translation. Anyone can be purified if he takes shelter of a pure devotee and molds his character according to the pure devotee's direction. Then even if one is a Kirata, Andhra, Pulinda, or whatever, even a Dixie or a Yankee, he can be purified and elevated to the position of a Moha Purusha. Then, even if one is a Kirata, Andra, Polinda, or whatever, he can be purified and elevated to the position of a Mahapurusha. 
Thus, in the Bhaktivedanta translation and purport of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 12, Text 20, in the matter of Vritrasura's glorious death. Here Lord Indra is praising Vritrasura. He could see that because Vritrasura was undisturbed even in spite of so many obstacles and because he was speaking only the pure philosophy of Krishna consciousness, therefore, he said, you have surmounted the illusory energy of Lord Vishnu. Therefore, you've given up a demonic mentality and have attained the position of an exalted devotee. So similarly, if we practice Krishna consciousness and thus achieve liberation and we give up our demonic mentality and we achieve the position of an exalted devotee. But there's so many people in the world who have got different degrees of demonic mentality. Demonic mentality basically is a godless mentality where one is simply dictated by the mode of passion, ignorance, and is always inimical to others. <clears throat> but when one has awakened Krishna consciousness that discards the demonic mentality, then naturally one is concerned about the welfare of others and is uh, situated on the transcendental platform. So these two opposites are there. The demons are concerned about their own material welfare even at the expense of others. While the uh, or in any case even sometimes if they're altruistic but if they don't believe in Krishna they don't believe in the personality of Godhead or any absolute truth then even what their so-called good intention the work they're doing out of good intention that also creates a disturbance in society. So you can't win. If a person wants to have any peace in this world, and tries to achieve that, avoiding God consciousness, even such people are put into so many difficulties. And ultimately their situation is very hellish. So the devotee is someone who is working for the satisfaction of Krishna. And if that mentality is promoted, then naturally there can be unity and diversity. Just as in the third canto of Bhagavatam and the lesson to King uh, to uh, Mother Devahuti by Kapila Muni, he describes that there are different kinds of devotional service. Devotional service mixed uh, with uh, ignorance, devotional service mixed with passion, and devotional service mixed with goodness. He said each of these devotional services have got a separate bhav called Pritak Bhava. Only pure devotional service is transcendental uh, from the three modes. So said that there are, in this way, 
3, then you multiply 3 times 2, you get 9, you multiply 9 by 9, you get 81. There are 81 different major combinations of the three modes giving different forms of devotion. Ultimately, Kapila Muni said then, there's a unalloyed devotional service, that devotional service which has got no cause, material cause. So that, how many kinds of such devotional service are there? Can anyone say? There's 81 different kinds of major categories of conditional service. How many kinds of unconditional service are there? One. Yes. There's only one kind of unconditional service. So therefore, anyone and everyone, if they're elevated up to the unconditional state of devotional service, then they're all one in the same platform. Then they actually, they have a harmony. So, this is a real way of creating a harmony in the world that's uh, absolute. It's bringing everyone up to that absolute platform of pure devotional service. So, our tendency is that we'll always pollute ourselves or we'll get polluted by the material world. Therefore, it describes here that uh, one needs to take shelter of the devotees of the Lord. Apasrayasraya. Take shelter of those who have taken shelter. In this case, that's actually the best alternative. Better than taking shelter of the supreme shelter. But to take shelter of those who have taken shelter of Him. Just like when Mayasura was running from the Sudarshan Chakra, he surrendered to Arjuna. And therefore, immediately Krishna blessed him. Immediately Krishna blessed him. He was very pleased because he had taken shelter of Arjuna. This is the special benediction. It may take a long time to get purified by bathing in the Ganges. It may take, it may be very difficult to surrender to Krishna. But somehow or another, if one can surrender to the pure devotee, then one's spiritual progress is assured. It goes very quickly. If in spite of getting so many good instructions from the pure devotees of the Lord, in spite of having all kinds of facilities for serving and for devotional service, still one hesitates or neglects to follow such uh, good advices, then it's a, uh, consider that who is more unfortunate than that person. That person is uh, most unfortunate. To get so many transcendental opportunities and then not to take advantage. These Kiratas, Hunas, Andras, Pulindas, these are different races. All of these races at one point were known to the Indians, to the Aryan culture. These were all some of the less civilized tribes. 
who are also under the dominion of Aryan culture. I think in the western country of all this list we've only heard of Huns. Kirata Hunas. Hunas mean Huns. I don't know if anyone's heard of any other of the races. Yavana Kasta. But they include such uh, races as uh, some of the other oriental tribes. Maybe the Chinese, the Tibetan hill tribes or something. People who are generally not well versed in spiritual science. Yavanas mean those who are the addicted to sinful activities and medini. It says even if there are other type of sinful people, they can all get delivered because the Lord is the supreme power. So they can all be delivered if they take shelter of the devotee of the Lord. Because the Lord is the greatest. He's the Mahapurusha. So someone who becomes his devotee becomes the devotee of the greatest. So a person becomes great by being a devotee of the greatest. So Mahapurusha means the Supreme Lord and Mahapurusha means of the Supreme Lord. Just like if someone becomes the child of some big multi-millionaire family, naturally then that person also achieves the same kind of uh, charisma or the same kind of uh, material facility. But spiritually, if a person becomes a pure devotee of the Lord, then whatever glory the Lord has, a good portion of that Krishna gives to his pure devotees. So, even though there may be different percentages of contamination holding a person down, but once they fully surrender to Krishna, then there's just a one kind, this pure devotion. And then, at that point, one is on the transcendental platform. So we should not stop endeavoring until we reach the perfectional stage. We should be determined enthusiastic. There were different people who started to chant under the movement of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And by the chanting process, they become purified very quickly. I think everyone knows the story of Megari the hunter and how by chanting how he was the hunter later he was converted by the Lord and he set up a little ashram at his house watering the Tulsi chanting Hare Krishna and this way he got the mercy of his guru Narada Muni So, 
If a hunter can achieve the mercy, similarly, why not anyone? Tapi tapi jato chilo horinavu davilo tarsaki jagai madhai. Everyone can take advantage of the mercy given by the Lord. We should be realistic about whatever offenses we are committing or inclined to commit. And we should uh, avoid committing any kind of offense so that we can progress very quickly in this path of pure devotion. Gandhi in India, he called the sweepers as Harijans. He tried to force them into the Jagannathpuri temple. Of course, the priests were very powerful and they would not allow these so-called sweepers to enter into the temple. The thing is that in Krishna consciousness, is a slightly different point of view. Saying that just some very undercultured people are Hari Janas or people of Hari, and then trying to finance their fooding and everything, that doesn't really have much positive effect. Because the people, they still have the same bad habits. So just by giving them a different title, if they don't change themselves at all, what is the actual value? In the South India, there's a lot of struggles between the Brahmanas and the non-Brahmanas. There's a party called the DMK, and they're perform, uh, affirmed atheists. So, in spite of that, they did a movement one time that uh, why should the brahmanas or the priestly families have the monopoly on doing deity worship? And so by some force, they're able to set up a training program for non-brahmanas, sweepers or whatever, to take up the puja. So the report is, is that when they had to go into those deity rooms and do the artis and the works and everything, they said, who can take this job? This is, this is too much. The whole day just doing artis and sitting here and it's hot and mantras and things like that. This is like, uh, this is a boring is not comfortable. They couldn't take it. They didn't have that much of a peaceful nature to be able to absorb themselves in deity worship. Rather, they found it kind of torturous to be locked up in those stone temples <laughs> during the deity worship. So, because just by changing someone's name, if you don't actually purify the consciousness, then what is the use? The whole point is that the consciousness has to be purified. But discussed in this sloka, 
it's not just changing some superficial name, but it's actually talking about changing the consciousness. Just as in the first canto of Bhagavatam, it describes an agabiplava. That in every sloka and every verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, it has the potency to create a, a revolution in our sinful consciousness. So similarly, we should be detached from our materialistic uh, point of view and become attached to cultivating and uh, developing this type of spiritual knowledge so that we can actually very systematically purify the consciousness. If we don't purify the consciousness, what is the benefit of practicing? The real benefit comes from purifying the consciousness and then engaging that purified consciousness in devotional service. Although Vrityasura, he was a demon outside, but inside he was uh, pure because his consciousness was pure. doesn't matter what externally one's birth might have been. But one has the consciousness becomes purified, then they're elevated, and they become the eternal consort of, or associate of the Lord. They become connected with the Lord eternally. The Prophet actually said that the East really begins from Bengal, and then from there you go west. The further west you get more materialistic. So we're halfway. Just like 99 point, you know, 99% of the people in America, even though here materialism is very rampant, but still people profess a belief in God. But in the, uh, for instance, in the Chinese language, there's no word for God. There's no word in the language. The idea, people, people, I've never heard of it. There's no concept. You have to explain. You have a paragraph. There's no preconceived concept. It doesn't even exist in their vocabulary. And in the Bhagavatam, there's a prediction that as Kali Yuga progresses, there's going to be a time where people will just be worshipping bones, Bones, uh, be worshipping, uh, bones kept in some temple, temples of bones. Seems like it's a long way off, doesn't it? People are worshipping bones. Huh? Huh? Just other people's bones. <laughs> but there are huge temples to bones in Japan. Every time a great man dies, they take his body and they put it in a little, uh, put his body in a, in a little shrine and they make it a Shinto temple. And there's no deities, there's no God. They think that like, since he was a big guy, so he must have something. And so they worship his bones to get whatever he had so they can become big too. 
and they have hundreds and hundreds of these temples. And any time another big guy dies, they put his uh, bones in one of these places, and it's filling up with bones, and they doing their worship to those bones. This is what they're also doing in Russia. They've got the tomb of Lenin. They go there and put the garland. They're basically worshiping bones. We have in America memorials worshiping bones. Worship means talk about someone, praising him, to hear about someone, to render some service, uh, and to remember. That's worship. So, this type of worship is going on for movie stars, for political heroes, for athletes, and so on. Actually, the newspapers, media, they're very expert in creating a, uh, a whole mood of excitement over some big sporting event, some world championship. And the people, they get all uh, keyed up. Who's going to win the World Series? Who's going to win the middleweight championship? Who's going to win the, this thing? And then, uh, then they have their championship and somebody wins. Somebody, just like recently, I think the middleweight championship in Las Vegas, the winner got $5.7 million and the loser got $5.3 million. So people, it's like one time we were taking Prabhupada on a morning walk and he saw them playing golf. He said, what is that? What are they doing? He said, they are playing golf. He said, what is golf? He says, no, never seen golf in India. He said, well, they take this uh, white ball and they, they hit it with a stick and... Uh, to hit it the fewest number of times to get it into a hole a few hundred yards down the way. <laughs> Prophet said, anything to waste time. They'll do anything to waste time from their real activity of self-realization. So, people, they're always thinking, looking forward to so many Distractions. What they think are the distractions from the problems of life are actually distractions from solving their problems also. Or we allow ourselves to be become distracted to worship bones or play frivolous sports or talk, idle talks, the more that uh, we are allowing the valuable time to slip through our fingers. Time is something that no one can buy back. Chanaka Pandit said, there's two things in the world you can't get back. The spoken word and time passed. Right? Once someone says something in anger or jest, and uh, if that hurts someone else, or they hear this, no matter what you say, you can't 
make that vibration disappear. It, it was heard, it was spoken, it was out. Similarly, time when it goes by, even for millions of dollars you can't get it back. So, here we have a limited amount of time. Within this time, if we're a little serious, if we have the guidance of a pure devotee, what well, we can achieve, it says here, we can achieve the shelter of the Lord. We can become purified. Sudhyanti. We can become purified. Sudhyanti. And if we are careless, Allow this uh, valuable time to slip through our fingers. You won't get it back. So, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Any questions? Yes? Jainanda personally shaved me up the first time. When I decided I wanted to go to India because I couldn't find any spiritual guide in, uh, in America, then miraculously Krishna had me, brought me in contact with the devotees. So... that time in the temple there was Vishnu Jan, Tamal Krishna, a number of other devotees, Gurudas, Sam Sundar. And uh, there also uh, Jayananda was there. So he was uh, constructing the Rathyatra cart. And he asked me to come. I went in the back saw what they were doing and then in San Francisco and uh, he just handed me a a hammer or a saw or something and said, hey, got a second? Here, can you help out? <laughs> His was not the intellectual approach. It was just <laughs> very enthusiastic, do some service. So before I knew it, I was hammering nails in the Rathyatra car for several hours every day or for quite a few number of hours. And they told me I could stay there so I could work in the cart. And Jayananda, he was so enthusiastic. Very simple kind of devotee, jolly. Very enthusiastic, very serious about his service with uh, building the Rathyatra cart. I wasn't that serious with the Rathyatra cart. I somehow slipped off in Golden Gate Park. I was given a pair of beads by another devotee. Turned out to be his... They weren't so strict in those days. There was Prabhupada's chanting beads, the beads that Prabhupada chanted on. He gave me his own beads to chant on. I went in the park and the first day he chanted 32 rounds, six hours. It was very... enlivened to chant. Then I came back and there was Jayananda waiting and he kept uh, finding service for me to do so. Practically for the entire week, uh, there was so much to do that uh, I didn't get a chance uh, to go anywhere else. So in that week of chanting and serving with Jayananda and other devotees, 
then I felt that uh, this was uh, basically what I was looking for. Some practical spiritual activities, uh, sublime philosophy. The only thing left was to meet the spiritual master. But that uh, they convinced me that unless I would fully try it out, I wouldn't be able to understand really what was it all about. And I agreed with that, that certainly I should try it out fully. Then only would I know what uh, what was it all about. So on the day of the Rathyatra day, then Jayananda, then I, uh, I said I wanted to be shaved up. They couldn't believe it. Made a quick decision. But uh, it didn't take too much to convince Jayananda to <laughs> shave off the hair. And then, I don't know, I have, they say that there's some pictures. I don't remember. Maybe I saw a long time ago. I haven't seen anywhere in any of the Vyas Puja books or anything. But that day, the, the Rathyatra day, I was right there in the front pulling on the steering wheel, steering mechanism. One devotee, Madhavisa, said he saw me that time. He was about to coming by the temple. When he was so surprised to see me shaved up and pulling the car, he convinced him to become a devotee. But uh, definitely Jai Nanda's uh, very just expert is giving some service. If we can just uh, invite people to come out and do some service here in New Talabon as Jayananda engaged, have a little halfway guest room, you know, where people can just come out and serve. I think we've done that in the past. And people will be come purified. Apart from that, I saw Jayananda when I went to Los Angeles on my way to India. Prabhupada called me there to kind of brief me what I should know to go to India. At that time, I think Jayananda was cooking or something. I remember I saw him in the kitchen in the temple there in Los Angeles. I've heard more about him from uh, Mukunda Maharaj. It was quite close with uh, Jayananda. Basic point that Jayananda dedicated himself for the Rathyatra service. And he always uh, avoided committing any kind of offenses to devotees. Or even if someone was discussing some kind of gossip or something, he would just walk away. He wouldn't, he wouldn't get involved. Just kind of, as you say in the West, I think, keep his, kept his nose clean. And he was always absorbed in his devotional service. So he was like very well loved by all of the devotees. And especially the whole time he was always thinking of uh, ways uh, in which uh, Rathyatra could be improved. Because he designed that uh, telescopic Rathyatra cars and the first one to come up with that concept, which was essential to have a big Rathyatra car in, uh, in America, in the West. Of course, unfortunately, he got... Uh, he was taken away from us early. He got some kind of uh, illness. I don't know what, leukemia or something like that. And uh, even though he was so deathly uh, sick, he only had a short time 
in his body, but uh, he never became uh, hopeless or distraught about. Rather, he'd always just keep on right to the very end, talking about and planning and organizing Rathyatra. In fact, I think one of the last things that happened was they carried him uh, in a wheelchair or something uh, to the Rathyatra, and he was able to attend the Rathyatra help and organizing. And then soon after that, after the Rathyatra, then he left his uh, body. Basically, he was he was chanting Hare Krishna right to the end. So it showed that uh, because of his constant engagement in devotional service, he was never bewildered. He was a very simple kind of a person. He wasn't like a very intellectual person or something like that, but he was very profound in his uh, commitment towards Krishna consciousness and in a kind of more of a common sense type of intelligence he would always uh, have a very positive uh, understanding of what should be done for practicing Krishna consciousness. So Prabhupada of course said that uh, because of his uh, very dedicated service and his uh, complete commitment to Krishna consciousness and his uh, sublime uh, passing away that actually he went back to Godhead. So we remember him on this day. It's a uh, since he's there already in the spiritual world I hope that he continues to hope that he would bless me again as he did by shaving me up and keep keeping my head always clean all the mayas out of it that we could all be uh, dedicated for our devotional service as he was dedicated for the service that Prabhupada gave to him and remain uh, fixed in Krishna consciousness right up to the last breath because I spent the last so many years in India, didn't have any personal association later. I just heard that how he was very sincere, always fixed up in his service. In one sense, sometimes people think unless they have some big position, unless they're a president or some GBC or something like that, they can't go back to Godhead. And maybe some people with positions will have a hard time going back. We've seen even some with positions, they've left the movement, putting themselves in great jeopardy. So it's a service that we need. An administrative service is just another type of service. It's a very good opportunity for being absorbed. But the whole point is to be absorbed. So just like Jayananda became absorbed in Rathyatra festival, somebody becomes absorbed in taking care of the cows, or doing deity worship, or cooking nicely for Krishna, or sewing nicely for Krishna, or doing Sankirtan, distributing Prabhupada's books. You see, because Rathyatra was such a benediction, giving Krishna to so many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. Those type of services which are giving Krishna to others, those are especially purifying. So if we can be absorbed in devotional service, that's actually the success. That's what will bring someone to go back to home, back to Godhead.
And if someone's not absorbed, then there's no use in having some physician. It'll just become a headache. But if someone's absorbed, no matter what their service is, then they're glorified. Well, different types of people, but in particular, like uh, in pers- in personalists, they don't consider people that don't consider that uh, that we are the glorified uh, approach to God, and then we we tell them. I heard some people say that as long as you practice your religions and base it on the, uh, the principles of religion, then you'll be all right too. But that, to me, that seems like a, a deceptive kind of a compromise when we know that they're, you know, technically they're not on, right on target. You know, they're, I just kind of uh, thought that was a little bit deceptive to tell them well, you can worship Christ, you know, or whoever, as long as you follow your principles, you know, then that's okay. But well, the point is that, according to the Vedas, you're not supposed to disturb someone's faith. Persons very firmly fixed in a particular faith, and if you have to destroy the faith that they have to make them receptive to then hearing what you're about to say, it's a very dangerous uh, methodology because if you're not able to, if you destroy their faith, there's no guarantee that you'll be able to rebuild it in in the uh, philosophy that uh, you're going to present. So then they may be in a worse off position. And if you fail to destroy their faith, then uh, get in hot water too. Just from a, kind of an observation to what some of the things that could happen. But the scriptures say we shouldn't destroy someone's faith. If you can preach to them and show them there's something higher, that's like if it's a positive alternative. That's that's basically the the methodology we're supposed to take. I don't know who says that... they just can't go around and tell uh, everybody that uh, whatever they believe in, it's all wrong. Where the uh, there is some righteousness in what all of the different scriptures say. Like Proverbs said, "Whatever is good, will admit it's good." If they even practiced everything that was in the Bible, if they didn't kill, if they were vegetarian, if they loved the Lord their God with all their heart, to all their soul, all their mind, if they did all those things wouldn't be so bad. But the fact is that they don't know how to do those things. In this present time, somehow their information source, uh, their disciplic succession seems to be but weak or broken or something because they don't have a real clear 
methodology exactly how to do it, how to do what the or what the priorities are. System, the apostolic system was originally set up. Jesus had disciples. They had apostles. They had disciples. In fact, uh, the Roman Pontiff is supposed to be a disciplic uh, line coming from, I think it was St. Peter. But I don't know exactly. I, I think they started about 400 years after St. Peter left the planet. I don't know exactly the history. I'm not qualified to comment. But uh, something somewhere along the line seems to have gone underground. So they don't have a lot of source material on exactly how God is great or how to develop love for him. Apart from that, there's nothing, and there's good things that are said there, things that we say also, that things that if two people say the same thing, why do you have to, just because they're saying it in a different book, why do we have to say uh, that it's wrong? Ultimately, it's all coming from Krishna, just that some things have come through different avenues. But if somebody is receptive, if they're willing to hear, of course you want to tell them. If they're not willing to hear, then isn't it foolish on our part if we just go and try to uh, attack them when they're not really receptive? Won't we just be making more enemies? Preaching isn't just some kind of blind thing like you go in like a rhinoceros and a but it's something you have to see. It's just like sometimes I read somewhere that there was a, there was a patient who was operated on, and uh, according to the medical science, uh, this Western medicine. If you want to operate on someone, you have to wait six hours from the last meal because if they have any st- uh, food in their stomach, they can vomit it out while you're operating. And if they do that, they can choke on the vomit and they can die, suffocate. So somehow the doctor in this hospital didn't check it properly. And the patient during the operating table vomited and I think either died or suffered some kind of brain damage or something like that. So there was a big legal suit who was responsible. And uh, so like this doctor, even though I, the person needed an operation, but he has to see the situation. It's not that just blindly. Or sometimes someone, there was one person I met in Malaysia that said she needs a, some kind of an operation, but the doctor says she has a heart condition. They can't operate on her. If they give her anesthesia, it will possibly kill it. So, there are different situations. So, you don't just, uh, a person is real weak. You can't just go in there and do major surgery. So, by association, by, by friendliness, by giving him some service, by some prashadam, by some books, you know, by accepting the things that we do accept, you know, not that we're going to accept the things we don't accept just for being diplomatic, diplomatic but it's called like tactful kind of presenting the things in a gradual way. And then if the person opens up a little bit, at least then, if they're a little stronger, if you establish simultaneously some faith in Krishna consciousness, 
then uh, they may be ripe for preaching to. If a person comes, they have no faith, they're totally bewildered, they're just looking for the answer. See, that's a different situation. There's another person who's not looking so much, they got some faith. It's like if you just go out to smash what they have, then uh, they may they may die on you spiritually. They may they have a different result. It's like preaching to the faithless. They're not really ready yet for that kind of a heavy dose. Huh? Certainly, you're right that we shouldn't like lead people on more than. Uh, we should try to give them the an idea that there's something a lot more. We have to do it in such a way that they're going to accept it. Otherwise, there's no use in just mechanically doing it if it has the reverse effect. What do you say? Lalita Priya? Um, another Maharani when they ask one question that if it's true... Are you a proxy? Are you a proxy? But she she wanted to know that if it's if it's true that that um, healthy baby only grows with love and emotion, then how can you explain if she's seen you know healthy big growth of health and other devotees seen too in India in the homes of meetings that aren't even taken care of? So she wants to be, she's confused, she wants to be explained, how can she grow if there's no real love and emotion, if you're not really going to be a Christian? Cause this mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of those houses, they go out every day and put water. I don't know, I've seen houses of... Every Hindu has the Tulsi. Practically speaking. And I've seen Tulsis in the house of people that weren't very strict. And they didn't look very good. I've seen Tulsis that looked pretty good. Many of the ones I saw looked good. People were putting incense. They were uh, offering some water. They're giving some attention. Growing Tulsi is a spiritual activity and the sinful actions are on the material platform. We sing here, Yani Tani Chapapani Brahmahatya Itani Cha, that simply by walking around Tulsi Devi you can get forgiven for killing a Brahmana even. So what to speak of killing a sheep or a duck or some whatever most Hindus won't kill a cow. So even if they eat meat, that's a minor sin that can be forgiven by Tulsi Devi. If the people are not offensive to sadhus, if they're not offensive to Tulsi, 
if they're careful on that level, Tulsi uh, is so spiritually potent that she could uh, she could accept what service they're offering out of her causeless mercy and uh, purify them for their materialistic uh, contaminations. On the other hand, if we neglect uh, Tulsi with knowledge, that would be offensive. You see, someone without knowledge, whatever they do, to their credit. So there are two different layers of analysis, the material and the spiritual platform. So someone might be sinful but offenseless on the spiritual platform. They now have an offensive mentality towards Tulsi. Plus you don't know, even though there's a house of meteors, sometimes the, the, the mother's a, a widow and the widow's a vegetarian. There's so many... You know, I don't know. This is like a real superficial kind of analysis. But Tulsi's <coughs> independent... From our point of view, we try to give devotion and try to make her grow nicely, try to give her attention so she'll grow nicely. If uh, somebody else is able to make Tulsi grow real nice, you should see how they do it. It's a good service for the people here in the South, the folk members, get them all to have Tulsi in their home. They can water Tulsi. Care for Tulsi, get a little light for Tulsi. It's a good project for folk members, unless they've got some real hateful person in the family. So if one says one's mantra by the side of a Tulsi, you get 100,000 times the effect. 100,000, I think. Or maybe 10 million or 100,000. It's a thousand times if you're standing in a sacred river and if you're by the side of a Tulsi, it's a hundred thousand. If you're by the deity, then it's unlimited. So Tulsi is, uh, she's very powerful. One, to consider that uh, Krishna himself is there. It's called Archa-Avatar. But since the Lord is uh, spiritual and we can't see Him, so He comes in deity form so that He can give the blessings to the devotees who have material consciousness. So we should treat the deities as an incarnation of Krishna, that Krishna has personally come. So we can reveal our mind to Krishna as we would reveal our mind to God in any other form. Although God is, uh, Krishna is one, yet each deity has got what's known as Lila Boichitra. That means that they have got variegated pastimes. Although it's the same Krishna, but he may have a slightly different mood or different uh, features, pastimes, and different deities. So one deity may be more, may be very compassionate or may be very 
attracting or have some different pastime which uh, attracts the mind of the devotees instills faith in the devotees to him so we treat the deities formally with respect we don't put our feet toward the deities we don't talk in front of the deities just like if uh, you open, if you were in a banquet and the president of the united states was speaking somebody in the back of the room was chair chattering away you know pretty soon you have a secret service guy tapping on your shoulder what the hell are you doing you know shop or ship out <laughs> how'd you get in here you know? so any uh with deity worship normally we wor- we worship the deities in a formal mood even though the deities sometimes might be informal in their outlook but because we are uh, want to be careful not to commit any offenses we approach the lord in a formal way the system for offering prayers to the lord is first to offer praise to the lord glorifying him for his uh, spiritual glories qualities then the next stage is to uh give some kind of a humble presentation of the devotee where the devotee expresses his uh humility before the lord and then uh if there's any specific uh prayers and you make the prayer to the lord one should study the prayers of great devotees in the shrimad bhagavatam and other uh prayers songs and other which written by great devotees and you can see the type of prayer which is uh, suitable for different types of deities although there's no hard and fast rule the story of a deity called alanath is a deity where lord chaitanya would go when lord jagannath would be in hiding or in in the sick for 15 days they closed the deity from no one could see jagannath and lord chaitanya felt such a separation he'd ran and spent the whole time at alanath vishnu krishna temple so this is a very ancient deity and there was one time a priest who there was a guru the brahmana disciples and so he went out and left his wife and son there and asked his son to offer the prasadam but he didn't actually train his boy up so the mother gave him the plate of bogans said you have to give this to the deity so the little boy son of a brahmin 5 6 years old or something so exactly this young boy he took the plate and put it in front of the deity and just stood there stood there stood there watching he started crying the deity spoke said why are you crying 
Since you're not eating. My father said, I'm supposed to feed you. I gave it to you and you're not eating. So then, in a very simple boy, Krishna says, as you surrender to me, I'll reciprocate. So the boy didn't think, and ever I thought never came in his mind that this is a stone deity, how can he eat, how can he talk? He was relating directly, this is Krishna. I gave him his food, he's not eating. Because he had utter faith, even just because he is a very you know, simple child, but whatever, he had complete faith. So then the Lord, uh, so he ate. And uh, the boy bring back a half-eaten plate to his mother. She said, what happened to the prasadam? She said, the Lord ate. So what's left? Why, you know, must be eating it and lying, you know. So then, she got concerned, my son's, you know, developing these bad habits, lying or stealing, but didn't do anything at that time. Waited after a few days, some time the father came back. The mother told him, this is the thing I'm giving, he's bringing back the plate, he said, the Lord ate it. Have gone. Now what kind of a boy is he? What's he, what's he learning now? What's happening? And the father said, just you know, said, well, what's uh, happening? He says, offer the plate, and the Lord takes and just as you told me, I've been doing everything. So then, uh, father said, this is a little bit mysterious. So he hid. Somewhere in the back of the temple, and saw his boy come out, give the boga, and pray to the Lord, please take prasad. Then he saw the deity move and started to take. And then uh, it was so shocking to him because he didn't have, you know, he was doing it as a ritual, you know, never, you know, to see the actual deity move and everything. He was, ha! Oh, he just said something. He was like, ah! A gasp or said something, you know, just got startled, and then the deity, boom, jumped back up because you know, got deity got as if he was startled, you know, it was his pastime, and so as a result, some of the prashad got splattered on the side of the deity, and it burned, made a little mark in the deity, and you could still see the mark from hot, hot, some prashad made a mark in the deity. Like that, there's so many pastimes, different deities have. If somebody approaches a deity as Krishna, he reciprocates. We're not, not just symbol or something. It's the Lord himself, but we're not pure enough to see the Lord or to perceive. But he's there. He cannot understand everything we're offering. Is that all right? Hare Krishna. Yeah.